0: This is Your Woo Woo Best Friend, a show about attainable transformation. Hey, it's Andy, and this is Your Woo Woo Best Friend. Welcome back to the show. I have an interview for you today. It is a really... Really juicy one. We've been talking a lot about business and manifesting the life of your dreams on this show. This whole season has been about creating attainable transformation in your life. Today, we're going to talk about what this looks like in relationships. And ultimately, relationships truly are everything. It's the relationship we have with self, the relationship we have with our friends, our family, the people that we work with. And in this particular context, we're going to talk about the dating relationship and what that looks like. So some of the things that we're going to be discussing, we're going to talk a lot about energetic minimums. And this concept applies no matter where in your life you are considering this idea of energetic minimums. It applies to how you think about your potential for wealth. It applies to how you think about your potential for career aspiration. And it certainly applies to what we will accept in relationships. So that is a big topic in this conversation. Today, we're also going to talk about shadow work and unmet needs and attachment styles. And then we're going to get into mindful dating. Our guest today is an expert in mindful dating. So if you've ever said, I am a magnet for X, fill the blank, fill in the blank. I'm a magnet for narcissists. I'm a magnet for people who won't commit. I'm a magnet for losers. If you've said any of those things, and you're getting tangled up with the wrong people, there is a lot to think about in terms of the one person who is the the constant in that conversation and that is you. If you've ever been like, I just can't trust anyone or it's just not worth it. And I'm better off alone. We're going to talk about all of that and how you begin to shift your energetic minimums in dating, what sort of attraction formula you might be missing and what type of dating loops you might be in. Maybe you're the non-committal type, the unavailable type, or you're falling for people like that, or you're a people pleaser, or you're falling for people like that, or you are a savior and you see your partner as your latest project. If you're like, mm, I'm feeling that maybe I am one or multiples of those, we're going to get into several other archetypes in this episode too. This is the episode for you, or if you know someone in your friend circle That you're like, why does she just keep dating this same type of person? Listen up and then share this with your besties that need to hear it too. Let's meet today's show guest. She is Lauren Smith, an author, speaker, and the host of the Date in Peace podcast in which she holds space to empower singles to ditch the dating struggle and claim the loving relationships that they so deeply deserve. She's the creator of the Metadate Journal mobile app, and she is the author of the Mindful Dating Journal, Find a Healthy Love That Lasts. Welcome to the show, Lauren Smith. Hey, Lauren, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it's a, this is going to be a fun conversation. We've talked for just a second about where we're going, so I'm excited. So I know our listeners are going to be excited too. So let's get right into it. So first, I've shared with our listeners a little bit about you, your background, the work that you do. But tell me first, how did this work, how did you arrive here in this moment doing this particular, this this type of work? Oh my gosh.
1: Because I got dumped one
0: too many times. <laughs> the last one was such a doozy
1: that I was like, I cannot and will not put my heart through this treachery one more time. So um I just kind of hunkered down and had to do a lot of hard looks at myself. I did the shadow work, I did the self-love work, and I discovered mindfulness. And I think that that was the perfect storm, really, of, of having the awareness and having the, the safe space to say, I love myself and I'm going to be okay to admit that I I effed up. That was what was able to actually change my entire dating perspective. Because then I gave myself like a new sense of control. I could see what I was doing wrong. Therefore, I had more self-trust that I wasn't going to do it again. Now and I'm out here on a mission to help other people stop making dating
0: <laughs> problems as well. it's so, and it's so true that we say, and like almost in a like facetious way, like, oh, I just keep attracting the same thing. I keep just doing the same thing over and over, or I'm a magnet for this, or, you know, nobody is trustworthy. or when it comes to me, I'm cursed. Like that sort of stuff. And when we start to just make that when we when that becomes our narrative, there's certainly, it's like the reality of making any sort of real pivot or shift is really, really slim if we get stuck in that thinking.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's a reason that we do that, though. All of us, I think, would much rather continue to to believe that the problem isn't within our control. It just feels safer to keep saying, oh, it's, why are these people attracted to me? Or why is it that the dating apps keep showing me the same type of men, you know, or women? The person that I want doesn't exist. And it's like, that's, that's not entirely untrue, but you're leaving a really big section out of the equation that, sh- that is you do have free will. And I wonder what it is in you that you're avoiding facing by keeping yourself safe in situations that ultimately aren't what you want. And that's a tough thing to admit. <laughs> that's
0: very tough thing to admit. We talked for just a second before we started recording about the concept of energetic minimums. I've been thinking a lot about energetic minimums on a broader scale when it comes to our finances and when it comes to our career, when it comes to where we live, and also when it comes to our relationships. The idea of energetic minimums is that we are determining what we will accept and what we believe we in fact deserve. And it's, a, it's equated, you know, very closely to the idea of our self-worth and then the idea of settling. So if my energetic min- minimum is, and I'm, you know, using my hand and the folks that are listening aren't seeing this, but like if it's like, okay, it's like right here at my head and I will not take anything less than this, but I keep dipping below that. I start to feel bad about myself. My self-worth is not great. I start thinking like, maybe I don't in fact deserve something greater than this. I don't actually deserve the moon, the stars in the sky, something way above this mark that I've set for myself. And then we get into this cycle of allowing that to continue. And sometimes I think it even creates some codependency along the way when we're doing it in relationships. I'm really curious about your thoughts on energetic minimums and how we begin to move, move the needle there.
1: I love this. I've actually never heard the term energetic minimum, so thank you for introducing that to me. Yeah, I hear standards, in, like that's kind of a synonym that my brain sure. is putting to it. It reminds me of this attraction formula that I came up with for why we end up settling for things that aren't necessarily meeting our energetic minimum for what we really want and deserve in a relationship. This attraction formula is a combination of two things. And when I say attraction, I'm talking about not like the physical attraction that you have towards someone that might be influenced by evolution, right? I'm talking about the spark, that deeper magnetism that really draws you to someone. So this formula is familiar love, plus an unmet need equals attraction. So what does this have to do with energetic minimums? It means that what you're attracted to, whether or not it meets your energetic minimum for how you want to be treated or what you are truly worth in a relationship, that's out the window. If you don't have the two components of that formula, within your awareness. And and so basically you can hack the formula. So let's look at these two components for just a few minutes and we can see how maybe if we can hack one of these two things that adds up to our spark connection, then we can find out or reveal why we keep choosing people that don't meet that standard. So the first one, familiar love, is this is a love that you That reminds you of something that happened when you were a kid. Mm. You know know how they say like, oh, you date people that are like your dad or it's so weird this thing my partner does. My mom used to do that too. And perhaps it's not a good thing. You know, every parent tries to meet our needs. They do the best they can. But as children, there's some needs that inevitably don't get met. So for example, let's say you, it's summer, you're home all day with a nanny that you hate. Your dad comes home from like a nine or 10 hour day and as per usual, he grabs a beer out of the fridge and turns on the football game. And all you want to do is connect, but he just has no more energy left. And he's just so ticked off from working a job that he hates that when you accidentally spill his beer, he loses his shit and you learn don't don't even approach him when he doesn't want to connect. It's not even safe to try. So as you grow up, that's sick in a sick way, that's your familiar love. Because even though he did that to you, you still loved the crap out of him. And you know that he loved you too. So when you go out on a date, even though your energetic minimum is, I deserve to have connection. I want a certain amount of quality time you still end up feeling like the person that doesn't call you back or the person that kind of snaps at you. If you reach out, you still think that that could potentially be the love that you want. You make excuses for them. Oh, they've been telling me they've just had a really busy week. I'm sure they didn't mean it. I'll give them another chance. Well, there goes your energetic minimum bar getting lower and lower. So that's the first half, right? If we can hack this, if we can really take a good hard look at our childhood and see what kind of habits did my parents love me with and were those habits healthy or unhealthy? Let's keep the healthy ones, but keep an eye out for the unhealthy ones because they it's still in the attraction formula. You're still going to be attracted to those type of people because it's familiar, So before I steamroll into the second component of this, uh, attraction formula, do you have any comments about familiar love?
0: It's just, it's just resonating so hard. Yeah. I, and I think that that's just, yeah, it's, it's the thing we do, right? We were like, this is how I was shown love. This is what love looked like in my, in my family in my friend group, whatever it may have been. And so when I'm seeking it, as I become my own embodied sovereign adult, I only know it to look one way. And so we then seek out that exact example unless we get really like step outside of ourselves, look at what's happening, really tune into that awareness and make a conscious decision to seek something different.
1: Yeah, exactly. And that's a perfect segue into the second component of an unmet need. So let's go back to the same person. What they really needed from that dad that was overworked and unhappy was a moment of connection, of one-on-one time, of reassurance that it was safe to connect. So as they grew up, like you're saying, they didn't realize, and we, I do this, perhaps all of you out there listening do this, we're still waiting for someone else to meet that need for us. Mm -hmm. So when we meet those people that feel familiar, we think, oh, If I can just get this guy, even though he's been blowing me off for for weeks, if I can just get him to love me and to give me the attention that I've been needing, it must mean that I was worthy of my dad's love too. It must mean that I'm not broken. It's like we equate the ability of someone to give us what we need with our self-worth. But the way that you hack this component of the formula is to realize that you're not a kid anymore you couldn't get that need met when you were four. Now you're 24, 44, whatever. You can meet that need for yourself in many ways. You can meet it in self-love of being like, yeah, I, I am worthy of getting attention. I know I'm a kick-ass person and that other people's ability to give me my that connection that I seek is not a reflection of my worth. Or maybe it's a matter of communicating. You ask them for what you need. Or even still, it's a matter of not settling for less than your energetic minimum. Because yeah, those people, if you notice that they're that unfamiliar, that they're the familiar unhealthy love, and you say, oh, I see you, not going to slide past me this time, you're you're not for me. I'm going to say no to you so that I can open up for someone that's actually going to be able to meet that need for me.
0: So tell me about mindful dating. So how do we begin to enter into an agreement with ourselves to only say yes to the dates that ultimately become those that we're considering, we're considering all of that. What is the mindful dating process really about?
1: Sure. Well, I think a lot of people use the word mindful in common language. Yeah. And it's not entirely wrong. The way that we use it, but it's also not totally right. Then there's a different group of people that think mindfulness is like something for yogis yeah. or maybe like a practice that monks use or something. Yeah. And I think the way that I'm bringing it to mindful dating is that we're seeing things as they are. We're noticing them. Yeah. But it is also a practice of just doing that all without judging it. Yeah. Of no matter what's happening in front of us being with it, and being with it as deeply as possible using all of our senses without judgment. That is the key. When you can bring the no judgment part to dating, that whole shame problem starts to disintegrate very slowly, like like insanely slowly to get through the shame. But essentially what you're doing is you're saying, Okay. If I'm going to show up on a date, and by the way, I'm in an, I used to be an anxious attachment style. So I was anxious on the date. I'd think about all the things that I said wrong before I got there. I would worry like within minute five of whether or not the person was going to ghost me. And then everything that came out of my mouth, I would criticize. I wasn't on the date. I was in my head and my inner critic was on the date with me inside my brain. <laughs> And what I wasn't doing is by not being in the present moment, by being in my worries in the past or the future or wherever, I wasn't present with this person who had so much to tell me, whether or not it was even in words, that I needed to really collect the data that was there. So it became a skill and a practice of saying, well, how can I stay in the present moment? What can I do to bring myself back when my brain wants to do that thing that it's always done? Body senses um, is, is a key skill in mindfulness, just coming back into your body. So if I if I could give you some practical tools to take when you're on a date, I would say if you're sitting there, let's say you're at a restaurant, and five minutes go by and you've been talking the whole time about your job, and the, the person on the other side of the table like hasn't been able to get a word in edgewise, you might realize this, because I know I've done this, and be like, Oh my God, Lauren, you're, you're talking, knowing cares about your job. Why are you making such a big deal out of it? And like, you just stop talking and it gets really awkward. And the other person's like, what is wrong with this chick? And you, and I can't, you know, you, you have a hard time coming back. You have a hard time in that moment being like, it's okay. It's a date. I'm nervous. So the, the tool that you can use similar to in meditation is to find an anchor. And what I mean by this, if you've ever tried traditional meditation, is you anchor your breath, for example. You just pay attention to your breath as it's coming and going. If you notice a thought, you say, oh, hi, thought. But then you divert your attention back to the breath. You anchor your intention there. So you can do the same thing when you're on a date. If you notice that your brain is wandering or whatever, you just say, okay, pick an anchor. You can pick the breath. You can pick listening to the sounds in the restaurant. Another trick that you can do is if you have a glass of water on the table, you can put your hands on the cold ice water. and that shock of the cold will like do a little mini reset of your fight or flight system so that you can just be like, oh, okay, let's let's come back to the present moment in, in as much peace as possible. And then just come back into connection with the other person. Like we're woo-woo people here, right? Like there's an energy when you're connecting with someone. And it's almost like I can feel it when someone's disconnecting from me. So if it's, I can sort of feel it too, when I'm in the zone with someone, you look in their eyes. It's almost like your, your vision kind of gets tunneled, not, not in like a creepy way, but they become the center of your attention. So you can use that as an anchor too. Just come back to your date and you're probably going to have to do it 25 times. And that's okay. That's mindful dating. It's the practice of just staying in the moment so that you can get all the data that you need to make a wise choice about whether or not this person's going to be a compatible match.
0: I'm interested in your reflections on the 5D. We had a little chat about this before we got started. So, this is clearly the show to have that conversation. So, tell me, tell me what's on your mind in regards to the 5D.
1: So I, I, I'm so excited to talk about this. I've noticed two themes, I think, and I'm curious if it's just me and like my unique journey, or if it's been happening with you as well. I feel a general theme of expansion and letting go of judgment. So almost like that expansion is an inclusiveness. It's really been a calling for me to embrace my more feminine qualities, which is I'm a fire sign. I like, I just love to be in Mars energy and just get shit done. And this feminine has been like, no, just be with all things without judgment. And that I also feel the theme that comes along with this is that shame is, is truly unraveling. Mm. If in my mind, I'm like deciding to believe, I don't know if this is really true, but I'm telling myself for my own healing that there is no such thing as judgment in 5D.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's, that's. Yeah, I'm into that. I I feel that too in a big way. Yeah, because if
1: there's no judgment, then shame is null and void. Yeah, shame is an emotion that's based on being wrong or not fitting in or not being right. But when we live in an expansive world where everything right now in this moment is as it should be, there's yeah.
0: there's no need to be ashamed. Everyone belongs. It's yeah, I I definitely feel that. I was in a conversation. Uh, Earlier this year with a woman who said and I thought this like articulated this so beautifully about this expansion piece She said She said remember the universe that we live in is constantly expanding so our world and what's possible for us as Individual little tiny humans amongst this universe is also expanding And so she said it's it's no longer about me getting a seat at the table it's now about the table has become a larger table. And so there's more space for all of us, which I thought was so profound and such an interesting way of really just like dialing into what that really feels like. Whereas it used to be like, I'm just trying to like get in and like, how do I get there? And you kind of, that kind of also like leads to this, like who needs to like get out of my way so I can get there. And she said, that's, that's like not, not, anything we need to think about anymore because there's, there really is more space for everyone and we're all having an opportunity to experience our own growth because everything is growing, which Mm -hmm. is what you're talking about. Yeah. I love that. I've also
1: noticed that a lot of times when I sit down to meditate, I intuitively want to expand. Like I'll make Mm -hmm. myself as big as the world or as big as the galaxy. And it's, that's just where I want to be. I woke up in the morning yeah. and I did my little expansion med- meditation. I went to go get like my oatmeal fixins out of the cabinet for breakfast and the cabinet door was open. And I was like, it's too tight in here. Like my energy just feels like it wants to be bigger too. And I just, mm. I'm okay with it because it feels like I can finally relax. I feel like I've been working for years to try to like go row upstream, And the vibe that I'm getting now in 5D is that I can just turn around and sail downstream and trust that as long as I am in alignment with my desire, eventually the universe will float me past whatever it is that I want. And that's all I have to do is just be aware of when that time comes and enjoy life.
0: Yeah. 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 Oh, I, I, yeah, I love that so much. I, I really think that as... We've shifted and it's, you know, there's a lot of thoughts on like when this in fact happened, but we've we've shifted into this age of Aquarius. Aquarius is very much the future. It's it's quite different from the previous age. The age of Capricorn, for example, is all about structure, all about systems, all about, it's very much the patriarchy, like setting, setting things up in a way in our world that we live in, in which we're operating within a box. And the age of Aquarius is really really quite different from that it's like it's you know technology is a big part of the age of aquarius and what we're seeing happen in technology i don't think you know many of us could even have dreamed of 2 years ago 5 years ago and then when you go back 20 years ago and 25 years ago what's happened from that point to now is remarkable and wild it was you know you would have said like This is science fiction shit. If like you had asked someone 20 or 25 years ago if what we've seen in technology was possible, no one would have believed it to be to be true. So like that's a really tangible example of that type of like future site growth in a way that we can't even quite imagine. And I think that there is going to be many other ways that that happens for us in our lifetime. I have, I have a girlfriend who's been on this show actually a couple of times, Chelsea Jewel. I think, you know, do you know, Chelsea? Yeah. Yeah. And she talks about that. This, the, the future that we will, we will talk about in 20 years from now, we will have that same, you know, we'll have that same feeling where we're like, that feels like science fiction. How could that have even, how could that even be? And and that's not necessarily in the realm of technology, but in the realm of how we exist on the planet. So I think there's there's so much to come and we've we are we are expanding and growing into it. We we just may not notice it moment by moment, but I think that it's it is the it is the theme for sure.
1: Mm-hmm. And I'm just stoked because this is gonna affect my dating life as well. <laughs> yes. I mean, when I can show up totally in my feminine, feeling safe to be there. That's yeah. going to help with the energetic minimum as well to be mm-hmm. able to show up in compassion, but also to be like, mm, I see you. I accept you. I have no shame for you, but I'm, I'm not, that's not what I want. I want to go where it's downstream, where I can feel peaceful and be feeling like I am deserving of getting anything that I want because the universe has just opened its doors for me now. I don't have to work or prove or do
0: anything. <sighs> it's going to be good. Yeah. <laughs> it's really good stuff. Yes. Okay. I want you to take us through the dating loops and tell us a little bit about each one. So I've, I've got them in front of me so I could walk us through them and then I'll just... I'll give you the dating loop and then you tell us about it. How does that sound? Sounds great. Okay. All right, so the first one is the non-committal. So this is basically like finding yourself in shallow situationships with people who breadcrumb you. So tell us about the non-committal.
1: Sure. Well, first of all, a dating loop is it could be your behavior that that you might not realize is toxic and is contributing to these series of eerily similar treacherous relationships, or it could be a behavior in your partner Hmm. that you're choosing to allow in your life. So the non-committal that these people that breadcrumb you, this is actually probably the closest to the relationship example that we used earlier with the daughter whose dad wasn't available to her, right? So you will reach out to people who don't give you the time of day back and instead of taking that as enough evidence in itself to walk away, you think, oh, I just got to keep trying. Like, so, so their breadcrumbs are enough to keep leading you on. Or maybe you're the breadcrumber. Maybe you talk to 20 people on a dating app and you don't ever want to go out with any of them because maybe you're just scared of committing. Maybe the idea of going out on a date with these people, you're afraid that once they really quote, once they really find out who I am, they're not going to like me. So you don't give them the chance to reject you. And by the way, none of these dating loops are meant to be like judging you or making you feel shameful. That is the opposite of what this is meant to do. It's simply to bring awareness so that you can say, hey, I see what I'm choosing now. And I'm just going to know if this comes up in the future, if I can notice it, great. Then I'll try my best to choose something else. But the reason that we choose the dating loops is because it just helps us feel safe. This goes back to that attraction formula. It's what we're used to. And even if it wasn't healthy, we
0: knew what to expect. So the second one is the unavailable. So this is basically falling for people who are taken or avoidant or grieving or they live super far away or that you are, you are that person, right? So tell us about the unavailable. I, I definitely used to be this one. This used to be me for sure. I was like, I will date you. You live on the other side of the country. Cool. That's perfect for me. Like I'm into it. Yeah. So tell us about this one. For sure. This is like the 2.0 of the non-committal,
1: right? When you're, this to me, when you're with somebody that's unavailable, like you've taken it to the next level. You've made some level of commitment with them where you're like, okay, I'm, I'm going to be here, but I'm also not going to be here. Because either you or the other person doesn't actually want to be totally vulnerable. So for me, I know when I'm in these types of relationships, when after months of dating the person, it still feels like we're really on only on our fifth date. Like even if you've hung out with them like 200 times, it still feels like you only know them on a shallow level. And again, this is the same thing is that probably somewhere in your childhood, whether it was from your parents or a friend or a teacher, maybe you did show up vulnerable and you did put your emotions out on the line and you got hurt. So you're like, no, I don't want to do that until I feel safe. And it could be that that person's not going to be a safe person for you. But more than likely, it's that you've got to do some inner work to find out what is it that you need to do for yourself to set some boundaries so that you can feel safe enough to slowly be vulnerable with someone.
0: And the next one's the people pleaser. So I think a lot of us know what this sort of vibe is. It's like working really hard to make someone else happy, prioritizing someone else's needs over your own.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Oh man, this was my core dating loop. It's so hard. I think women, we get a double whammy at this too, right? Traditionally, I think women are supposed to be self-sacrificing and try to put everybody else's needs first. And if we don't, that makes us selfish. (laughs) So when it comes to finding a relationship though, this actually is more damaging than it than it's helping. It, It gets to the point where we give so much or we sacrifice so much that we're not even showing up authentic. So For, for me at least, I would be with someone and I, not only was I resentful that I was giving so much and I felt underappreciated, but when they would say, I love you to me, I'd be like, you don't, you don't love me. You don't even know me. I'm, I'm here trying to convince you to love me by doing all these things for you. And then you get stuck there thinking that if you stop that they're, they're going to leave you. So. It's uh, it's toxic people pleasing because over helping isn't always a good thing, and also because then you're building a foundate you're building a relationship on a foundation that's that's not authentic, and you, you're so afraid to show your authentic selves that it's almost like you keep betraying yourself. It's hard to get out
0: of that. The next one is the savior. So you see your partner as a project like they've got something that needs to be fixed and perhaps you're going to fix it or you become that for someone else I definitely used to do a lot of this one too it's like they're so great but it's this one thing and if I could just and I will fix this thing then we will be great and so will they and then it's like sis what are you doing like that's not Mm -hmm. your job Mm -hmm. oh yeah
1: making people your your personal projects that's Mm -hmm. never fun that's definitely going to lead to that relationship poison of relation of Resentment as well. I think too, this goes back to that attraction formula, the unmet need portion. And this is a little bit codependent as well, is thinking that if we can just do something for someone else, if we can just fix their problems, that then they can finally have space for us. And that in a weird way, we feel important when we can Mm. be that person for them. It gives us meaning. It makes us feel like they need us. And that is actually not going to create a space where you can both feel safe because the one person is always in, their low key being judged. They're probably feeling like, oh, I have to be fixed. What's wrong with me? <laughs> and that, yeah, resentment is like the key theme here is that if you're feeling resentment, no matter what's coming up, it's not necessarily a sign that you're doing something toxic, but it's a flag that's waving that says, hey, look at me. There's some work that could be done here so that we could relieve this resentment.
0: The next one is the damsel in distress. Placing your partner on a pedestal, expecting that they are going to rescue you from all the things that are going on in the world. Mm -hmm.
1: This is kind of the opposite of the savior, right? To someone that doesn't realize that they're attracted to people that want to save them. These are people that really... Maybe they grew up in a home where they weren't really allowed to be independent and where their parents just kind of gave them everything and then they lacked confidence to get it themselves. Maybe they really liked the connection and the attention that they get when someone takes care of them. Again, none of this is wrong. It's just how we have been existing. But if the way that you've been moving in your dating life isn't getting you what you want, then maybe there's something different that you can do. But in order to figure out what that is, you have to take a good hard look and say, am I showing up in victim mode here? Am I trying to say that I need someone to come along who's finally gonna take away all of my problems? Or can I solve these problems
0: myself? The next one is the gold digger. I think we know what this one is too, placing our happiness and our worthiness in someone else's wealth and that inevitably creates an an imbalance of power and control and all sorts of things that aren't the best.
1: Yeah. I mean, I've I've been on the opposite side of it. I tended to date, I guess this is an extension of the people pleaser and the savior roles in me is that I would date people that didn't have a lot of money and they loved Mm -hmm. that I had money. So for example, at one point I dated this guy I had met in Argentina and the Argentinian peso is like you know, small compared to the American dollar. So when we would go places, I'd be like, Oh, well, I'll get it. You know, no worries. And I just started paying for everything. And then again, that relationship killer, the resentment came up and he and I just slowly disintegrated because it became this big power thing. It, when you put money into the mix like that, where, where one person is potentially, um, uh, it, it just becomes transactional. And then again, you don't feel safe to be yourself. It's, it's, it's really funny that we choose these behaviors because we want to feel safe, but what it does is it just puts us in an unsafe relationship.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I I've definitely done this one too. In that, in that way in which I remember I was dating, dating someone and I, we were like a year or so into our relationship. I was, I was a corporate executive. I was making really good money a six-figure salary, and he had started a business and his business was doing well. But I think he had a lot of still like fear around like, you know, what if the business, what if, what could happen? And he had, he had a lot of comfort in knowing I was really stable. And then I decided I was going to, and I'd been planning this for a long time. I was leaving my corporate job and I was going to start a business. His level of freak out, like, whereas I thought he was going to be like, Amazing. Starting a business is like one of the best things I've ever done. He was doing great. He loved having his business. But when I was going to do it, he had all of this like uneasiness. And rather than expressing his fears of what was going on around just normal fears of, of that arise in entrepreneurship... He was like, very much like, I don't think you should do it. I think I remember him telling me, I think you're a little too old to try and start a business. You're never going to make the same amount of money as you make now. It was like very, very against it. Of course, we ended up breaking up. But along the way, I was like, oh, I and he would joke like, oh, you're my sugar mama. Even though I wasn't necessarily paying for everything. I think he did think in his mind, should something go down, I would have his back and so when I was about to be a little bit risky or a lot bit risky, entrepreneurship is risky. He was like, oh, no, 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 that doesn't work mm-hmm. for me. Oh, that's a great example of
1: that power struggle, right? Mm-hmm. He, he didn't, he felt out of control without having that safety. So he started to try to yeah. control you and your decisions.
0: Yeah, definitely. I was a red like, flag. Uh, no, sir. <laughs> yeah. I was like, no, sir. No, I'm doing it. I'm leaving the job and breaking up with you. So that's what's happening. So, yeah, yeah. (laughs) yes. Um, Okay. The next one is disconnected self-critic. So you're so focused on what the other person might think of you that you start to like ignore what you really need and what your intuitive guidance might be telling you. Mm -hmm.
1: I think this could be every single one of us, right? Like this could be our baseline dating loop. It's just the way that we perhaps grew up in this society. We're always worried about how we're being perceived, that we let it demand all the attention in our internal movie that we're constantly playing on repeat. We're always thinking, oh, am I good enough? Is this shirt sexy enough? Am I going to get married by the right age? Like All these things popping in our head that we totally get disconnected from what we actually want. When we go out on a date, we we leave, you know, no matter how perfect the date was. We leave and the first thing if somebody says like, "Oh, how was the date?" the first thing we say is like, "Oh, I don't know. I I wonder what they think about me. I wonder if they're going to call me back and you worry about them and whether or not they're going to uh, accept or reject you." So mm. the the healthy version of this that all of us is are really trying to attain is security. That secure attachment where you can leave a date and say I was in my integrity. I I know what my minimum, um, energetic minimum is. And whatever happens, happens.
0: Yeah, that's it. Okay, the next one is, I think, is this the last one? I think it is. The bossy perfectionist. So staying with people who aren't good for you, but thinking, I can change them to be the person that would be my perfect person.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Oof. This one is for all of you out there that gets sucked into that honeymoon phase and you see this ideal Prince Charming, you put them on a pedestal. And then as that honeymoon phase starts to fade away, you realize that the fantasy that you had built up in your mind when you really only knew them for a couple of weeks is actually not who they are. But instead of admitting the truth with mindful awareness, you decide to cling to the fantasy. And you think, Oh, well, that might not be them, but maybe if I convince them to get a haircut and maybe if I buy them a new shirt and maybe if I really coach them and, and write a resume for them, they'll finally get the job that I think they're capable of having. <laughs> and then you just become a huge naggy bitch. <laughs> <laughs> no one actually wants that. Yeah. yeah. Or it could be the opposite side of the coin, which, you know, happens too. I think you grow up in a home with a mom who's nagging you all the time. You're never good enough. She, she criticizes your clothing choices. She tells you that you, you have to change your haircut. So then you end up finding somebody that's bossing you around and that you're never good enough. So it's like Mm. out of all these eight things that we've learned, there's some common themes that we've been, that have been popping up for us is that, um, it's all a feeling of, of not being safe to show up with your authentic self. The theme of resentment is, is present in almost all of these or a feeling of anger and frustration and a feeling that, that we have to some, for some reason, maintain this belief that we got from our childhood that we, we have to play these roles. And that's really all they are. They're, they're just little scripts that we learned in childhood. And now that we're adults, and hopefully listening to them, you can see some of the roles that you've been assigned, quote, and just rip the script up. (laughs) Show up authentic. Show up in your expanded feminine divine power or masculine energies, whatever balance you have right now, and just be present and trust that when you show up authentically in your energy with the the proper tools so that you can feel safe, self-love, boundaries, communication skills that if that person does, quote, reject you, that's not your person. And you just enjoy them while they're there. Enjoy the process of dating because that's also part of mindfulness, right? It's just learning to see the beauty in the moment. There's so much joy to be had when we can get out of the criticism in our brains. And then when you go home, you really reflect. You welcome any emotions that come up in your body and you say, okay, Lauren, what is my energetic minimum? What are my standards here? And what is the reality of this person? As best you can, you know, you don't know the person for quite some time, but do you have this feeling in you that says, yeah, I'm actually kind of curious to learn more about him or her? Or is there a feeling in your system that says, oh, this feels like a dating loop? (laughs) Well, why? (laughs) Journal it out, meditate on it, you know, see it sooner than later.
0: Lauren, thank you so much. This has been such a great conversation. So much good stuff to reflect on and beautiful reminders too. Being in the present, being in the present, being in the present. So good for for us and and always. If someone's interested in learning more about you and checking out your work, where can they find you? Sure. For more
1: mindful dating tips, I have my own podcast called Date in Peace. It's specifically for anxious singles who aren't 100% sure they're straight Or you can find my book, The Mindful Dating Journal, on Amazon.
0: Beautiful. Lauren, thanks for being here. It's been such a pleasure to have you. Thanks, Andy. Thank you so much for joining us today for another episode of Your Woo Woo Best Friend. If this episode has been helpful to you, we would love it if you would share on social or drop down onto the app that you're listening to this show on and leave us a review Spotify, Apple Pods, most of the podcast apps have some way in which you can leave a review. So we would love that. It helps us so much. If you have a friend that this show would resonate with, go ahead and send this episode their way. A couple of quick reminders before we wrap up for this episode. One, we have just a few spaces left in our Mallorca retreat. If you want to come and spend time relaxing exploring making new travel besties in Mallorca Spain this coming up spring I've got a link for that trip in the show notes and we are continuing to offer our free masterclass inside the unschool this week that link is in the show notes too I'll be back again with another interview next week thanks for being here see you soon